Welcome back to the Elevate EV podcast, where I talk with guests about the rapidly evolving EV space in Australia. I'm your host, Bridie Schmidt, and today I welcome back Jen Dudley-Nicholson, AAP Future Transport reporter. I've also got some news. I've started as EV Hub Editor for the NRMA, a role I am already relishing, but I will add this just for clarity. This podcast is completely independent. Firstly, I'd like to acknowledge the Bundjalung people, traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast has been made, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. In this episode, Jen tells me about what she thinks of the new MG4, which has appeared in EV sales charts for the first time last month. With a price point under $40,000, it's a car that's sparking a lot of interest. Now, I just need to add that this podcast is out a little later than I had hoped. I recorded this podcast with Jen just as I was coming down with a pretty heavy case of laryngitis. I've just got my voice back, so I figured better late than never. But the EV space is moving so fast here that between when we recorded this episode and preparing this intro, LDV announced another electric ute with far more compelling specs than the ET60 and our discussion about how the New South Wales government is considering scrapping EV rebates is also already out of date. That bombshell was dropped on Saturday morning, a few days ahead of the official budget announcements. So what does it mean? The New South Wales government is following the footsteps of Victoria and pulling the plug on its EV rebate as well as stamp duty exemptions from January 1st, 2024. The MINS government says that these incentives, which include a $3,000 rebate for EVs priced under $68,750 and stamp duty exemptions for those under $78,000, are actually inflating the cost of EVs. It claims carmakers are pocketing the extra cash, but are they? Now, as you can imagine, this decision is getting a lot of flack, especially from the Electric Vehicle Council. They're saying this move is like throwing a spanner in the works for EV adoption and will pump up the state's carbon emissions. And get this, despite the government's claim that rebates are driving up costs, EV sales have actually skyrocketed by 450% since these incentives were introduced. But there's a silver lining. The government says it will redirect the savings into a $260 million fund to roll out more fast chargers, upgrading grid capacity and charging hubs. So it's not just about the cars, it's about charging infrastructure too. Superchargers are opening up to other brands as well, but not without a few hiccups. We'll explore what this means for the future of EV charging in Australia. And speaking of the future, we look at what kind of electric ute Toyota wants to bring to Australia. But when will it happen? And is it soon enough? And are they setting their sights too high? And lastly, BYD is removing the Bring Your Dreams badge from at least one of its electric models. We share what some people out there think about that. So buckle up because whether you're a seasoned EV driver or just curious about making the switch, we've got something for you. Let's get charged up. Hi, Jen Dudley-Nicholson, AAP Future Transport reporter, joining me today on the LMA EV podcast. How are you going, Jen? Thanks for joining me again. Yeah, great. Thank you to be here. Very good. So we just thought we'd have a bit of a chat about what's been going on in EV world. And there's been a lot been going on, as per usual. Have you been keeping an eye on the Munich Auto Show at all? 
a little bit. I've been seeing some very futuristic things from the auto show. So every now and again, I see sort of, you know, footage of something that looks like a a flying vehicle that I'm not ready to get into or a a very fancy looking electric vehicle. Yeah, there's a lot out there. And I, I, um, I think I saw a photo of the CEO of NEO, which is that Chinese electric vehicle maker that does the battery swaps. Mm -hmm checking out outside Tesla Model 3 so I thought that was kind of interesting and apparently yeah the ID2 GTI was launched so that would be super cool if it came here. It's so funny watching all of these launches though because I was just kind of you're writing up some stuff around what cars electric cars are expected to come to Australia soon and you've got all of this like giant bank this this big queue of cars that never actually came to Australia that now we're looking forward to and they were like they were announced at these car shows four years prior and so I want to be excited but at the same time I'm going to temper that excitement just because I know how long it takes to get some of them here yeah that's exactly right and I think W came out this week saying it's nearly there nearly there with the ID3 you know what I was in I had the opportunity to be in in Amsterdam last month and I saw so many models there that I've never seen before that we just don't have here yet including the ID3 and the ID4 and the ID Buzz saw one parked by the canal charging that was cool they've been talking about that transition for a lot longer australia and it's just it's just taken for granted now that that's what's happening so it was really interesting because it really was literally just every 50 meters or so there was electric vehicle charges by the side of the canal so they were everywhere we'll get there eventually i did i did get a ride in a volkswagen id4 actually on my way out of london to the airport because a lot of their a lot of their vehicles are electric i saw so many over there especially in their low emission zones and ultra low emission zones and it's it's nice to see that they exist and they exist with vehicles that travel on the the correct side of the road i'm not going to say the right side of the road so yeah it's possible yeah definitely which brings us i guess to actually one of the news pieces this week and that was that we had vfax come out again and there was new arrival on this month's vfax and that was the mg4 which i understand you got to have a drive in recently I did. So I got to drive a few of them. I, I drove kind of the the one up from standard and also the long range model. And then just recently, I've kind of put my, my hand up and, and took the bare entry level model for a test drive around Brisbane as well. So I am well versed. According, I don't know if I should tell you this, but according to my son, the vehicle gave him an itchy bum. I believe that's just because the seat in the back was new and did not have like a groove like in it. It was surprisingly zippy though, I've got to say, like for even the entry-level model, very zippy, tested the horn because someone was being stupid near me, so it worked well. But for a small entry-level sub-$40,000 vehicle, I was really impressed. I've read some reviews that, you know, and it looks really, like, dynamic. It's a bit cool on the outside, but the inside's a bit bland. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, the the inside, some of it is, is a bit sort of basic. And certainly, you know, if you get the entry-level model, for example, you don't get electric seats with it. I had to had to work out kind of the manual settings for that. But I think that's really something that you adjust one time. Certainly, the outside is really dynamic-looking. And the way I had it described to me is that they wanted to create a vehicle that looked like it was in motion even when it was staying put. And I, I really, I, I do kind of get that. There are some some nice angles on the outside. If you go up the higher models, you get some very strange looking spoilers. I actually.
actually think the spoilers look better when you have the hatch open because it, it kind of it it looks like billionaire doors but from the back which is a strange thing <laughs> but I, I quite like the design of it the, the hatch wasn't as, as big as I expected it to be but it's very comfortable inside despite what my son says there you could easily fit two tall people in the back I'm not really sure if you can fit fit three large people but definitely two quite comfortably and yeah I thought you know for the money it was a really amazing drive and it was faster than I expected it to be given its price. It's one of the new electric cars coming onto the market that's priced under $40,000 and for you who's in Queensland you get that extra $6,000 rebate so it becomes a really interesting perspective. It, uh, it does. It's, it's interesting yeah. to compare it to other cars now that are in the market secondhand just because like even even within the MG stable if you're having a look and you, you don't get that $6,000 off a secondhand EV but you do get it off a new one so if, if you're comparing the two then potentially you're going to go new which is good for the market because it, it sort of it feeds the secondhand market a little bit more it gets more people into electric cars potentially and also it makes sure that the safety is there because this is a, a five-star ANCAP rated vehicle and it's going to be brand new so hopefully that's good for the market. Yeah definitely and look you know talking about the market I mean that was the so that was the first month for the MG4 296 were delivered or you know registered with BFAX as sales for the end of August there's now 55,000 or so new electric cars on the road and nearly 33,000 of those were Teslas a little over 8,000 of those were BYDs and they've cars at a rate of about a thousand a month so it'll be interesting to see if MG demand or supply will catch up with BYD. Yeah, and I think it was it was quite early to see that kind of result for the MG4 as well, simply because they were only just making it into showrooms. And so this is really kind of a demonstration of, of what they had in stock and what the pre-orders were. They've said that they intend to sell about 3,000 MG4 vehicles in Australia this year. And it'll be interesting to see you know, if, if they can do that and then sort of what happens next year from that as well. Yeah, definitely. And I, you know, I did notice that the ZSEVs are only accounting for a very small percentage of what MG is selling for their ZS petrol cars. So I wonder how many people are actually opting the MG4 now that that's around too, because that's on an all-electric platform as opposed to being a... It is, yeah. So that that kind of rules against it. I'm all, always really excited when I, I see a ZS out there and then have to look at the tailpipe and, and the license plate to work out whether it's electric or not. If it's not going, that is. Otherwise, you can work it out pretty quickly. <laughs> exactly right. So moving on, we've also seen the new Tesla Model 3, new design, codename Highland. And you've written a bit about this as well too. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the weirdest sort of bonus for me is is not necessarily for the driver, but it's for the people in the back seat because you get a screen and you get to make your own decisions about what temperature is in the back. Because apparently, with this vehicle, you get you get a touch screen added to the yeah back seat passengers. I I hope it doesn't look like, and I hope you can't control the music from the back seat because I think that would be a bad addition for everybody. There should be some benefit to being the driver. But we also saw some new aerodynamics for it, which apparently increased the range a little bit, which is good to know. From a completely superficial standpoint, there's new LED lighting on the inside, as I understand it, which could look very pretty. The screen, the main screen has improved a little bit. There's some changes to the blinkers, which people who drive Teslas, I understand, were very excited about because they're going to be, is it in one one part as opposed to different no, parts? I think they've got, they've got rid of the entire blinker stalks and they're just buttons on the steering wheel from what I understand. 
hand. Nice. And the steering wheel has been redesigned as well. Yeah, that's right. I don't know how excited I am about losing the <laughs> blinker stalk, so I've got to say I, I think my aging brain might struggle with that. <laughs> it's it's funny, like in all these vehicles, and this is another thing about the MG4 too, they also have taken the European way of blinkers. And so for the first few times, I kept turning on the windscreen wipers by accident. And so maybe the answer is to replace them with buttons so that I don't do that. Maybe it's going to help my brain and, and your brain eventually once we get used to this thing. <laughs> That's a really good point. I mean, if you drive a lot of vehicles, you have to switch between that depending on what you're in anyway. And growing up in a VW family. I was used to having the blinkers on that side, but we do adjust, don't we? I'm sure. I'm sure we can do this. It'll be just like getting a new smartphone. <laughs> so in other news, of course, superchargers have opened up to other brands, which is exciting because it means that we're thinking of buying an electric vehicle, have more choice now if they're sort of worried about access to charging infrastructure, which is still really in rollout phase in Australia. But I'm hearing that some up brands are having a bit of trouble with superchargers. Yeah, that's really disappointing because I think one of the things that we need to know about chargers is not only that they're there, but they're actually functioning and that you can actually access them. And that's one of the big criticisms that a lot of people have, whether they have electric vehicles or they're thinking about electric vehicles, is just that that infrastructure needs to be there to you know, support their use. So I think it's it's a great decision for, for Tesla to open up these superchargers. They haven't opened up all of them. As I understand it, it's um, almost half the network in Australia, which is still a huge addition, especially because putting in a charger is something that can take 18 months to happen, even after you commit to it. So it, it's great to see those open up and become available for more people. It would be also great to see some communication around which vehicles can use them and, and how they can use them and what they require as well. Because it's it's no good, you know, blaming the person who fronts up at one of these things and going, yeah, you should have done more research on that. Because nobody in the history of the world has ever researched a petrol station. That's a really good point. And yeah, look, so Nirav Bhatt, who's a passionate journalist and blogger on electric cars, has published an article about reports of Hyundai Ionic 5 and Ionic 6 not charging quite as fast as they expect, which apparently one person on Twitter, and I can't verify the truth of this, but I'm going to assume that they have an idea of what they're talking about, ZEV Cyber, says this is the fault of cars not including a beefier DC to DC converter to get the voltage they need. But we've also heard reports of some of the Chinese brands, BYD, and the GM, GWM Aura and the first generation of the ZSEV actually not connecting at all. So I'm not sure what needs to happen there if it's a software update from the car maker's end, but it's certainly something that I think Tesla would want to resolve quickly because they want people to be able to charge up and move on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, this, this kind of adds to the general anxiety that people have around charging their vehicles as well. I mean, I borrowed a, a ZSEV late last year and just charging it up the first time it was challenging because I didn't have the app installed. I hadn't registered the vehicle. I still get updates from that vehicle and I hope somebody has changed its front tire. But all of that is can be quite involved. And so I think that it's incumbent on all of the vehicle manufacturers and the charging companies to make this as simple as it can be. So we don't have to have big chats about why this is holding back the market. That's right. And that actually reminds me, one of the reports about the VWID coming to Australia was to do with the fact that they want it to arrive with connectivity and that has actually been something that may have been holding it back. Apparently the software that 
they'd signed a contract with to use in the vehicles wasn't valid for use in Australia, something funny like that. So it'd be really good to see them sort that out too. Yeah, it's interesting because some of these cars, they rely so much on technology, which is a fantastic thing. And if you've driven one of those and you get to access all of that stuff, when you're sitting in your vehicle, listening to audio books and and you're, you're charging up and you're watching Disney Plus for some reason on your vehicle, like it's fantastic. But it also does add another layer of complication for the, for the companies who are making it. That's right. That's right. And so there's something special happening this weekend too. That's World EV Day. And I saw that you wrote an article that it's part of World EV Day. Councils are being urged to transition to electric heavy vehicles like garbage trucks. What else is going on? I think it's it's really important to get fleets on board and, and that's a lot of the people I've been talking to are saying, you know, it's it's important for governments of all all kinds, but also, you know, businesses to sort of re- be replacing their fleets because that's what's going to fuel the second hand electric vehicle market. And it's amazing, like the percentages of people who buy vehicles second hand is huge and well outstrips people who are buying new vehicles. And so that's really important. But then when it comes to things like, you know, electric garbage trucks and, and sort of long haul trucks and delivery trucks. If you take a petrol or diesel vehicle like that off the market and replace it with an electric vehicle, you're going to get more bang for your buck. It will reduce emissions faster. And so it's really important. Like So at this this event that was held down in Melbourne, we saw representatives from 100 or well, more than 100 local councils come and have a look at some of the vehicles that now they can purchase, whether those are large vehicles that are Polestar 2 there. They had some, some smaller electric vehicles that they can put into their fleet. One of the vehicles in my street is from the Brisbane City Council and it's a Nissan Leaf still going strong. So it's it's good to see local government as well as the federal government and state governments embracing this technology. As for World EV Day, I think it might be kind of a made up holiday as all of these things are, but it's a good way to kind of take stock of where a country is up to, where people are up to, how Australia compares to the rest of the world and, and all of the, the progress that we've made over the past year, which has been huge. You were mentioning what before else? sort of like 55,000 sales in, in, you know, by by August and compared to last year, I think there was about 14,000. Even in the, you know, pay 50 cents every time you see an EV game, like it's a, it's a rich game now. There's a lot of electric vehicles out there to spot on the roads and hopefully next year it'll be completely different again. Oh, I think it definitely will be. I think though one thing that we've got to keep an eye out for is what's happening with these state rebates. We've seen Victoria drop the uh, $3,000 state EV rebate. We know now also that New South Wales may be considering doing the same. It's got its budget coming up in a week or so. Chris Mins apparently was saying that he thinks that the rebates have been pushing prices up. Is that really the case, do you think? He said that there was concern around that and apparently there there were budget estimates documents around that. But the thing is, we haven't seen the proof of that. And so I think it's a strange thing to say. It's not even that they decided to, you know, that they would put some sort of provisions on it so that it was only going to certain households, that it was going to low-income households, for example. In Queensland, you can unlock another $3,000 towards your rebate if your income falls under a certain threshold, for example. But none of that was mentioned as a solution. It was simply to cut back the number of rebates. And so I think there's a genuine question out there about whether this is a budget-cutting measure or whether this is because the rebate isn't doing what it was anticipated to do. I was talking to the Electric Vehicle Council, someone from the Electric Vehicle Council yesterday 
yesterday and they were saying that we really can't get rid of all of the the sort of the financial incentives until we hit that 25 to 30% adoption mark. Like that's when it's found that in a nation with that sort of adoption, then it's kind of, it's downhill and it feeds on itself and people see and, and, and try electric cars and, and, you know, it, it kind of, it becomes a, a very, you know, popular thing to do. I, I think that it's probably a bit premature to be talking about getting rid of incentives. However, I do think that if they were targeted incentives, I think a lot of the the industry would respect that and, and some of the people who are researching electric vehicles would also appreciate that too. I think having, you know, making sure these rebates work is important, but at the same time, ditching them because you've got to save money somewhere is not necessarily the smartest way to go. That's right. And we had a little bit of a dip sales this month down to about 6%. But that was sort of in lieu of some record petrol and diesel sales. And also it's August and we had record sales in June, which was the end of the quarter, which is when Tesla ramps up its deliveries. So it's sort of expected to see a little bit of a dip. Um, But we're definitely very far off that 25 to 30% uptake, which is when we really start seeing that adoption curve take off. It, it was a bit disappointing to see that like battery electric vehicles hit 6.4%, whereas for the first six months of the year, I think they were above 8% of new car sales. I've seen various reports that Tesla had more shipments come in late, and so potentially we'll see the effect of that happen in the September figures, and that'll be interesting. I think ultimately you have to weigh these things up kind of you know year by year as well, because the, the car market in general, whether it's electric or petrol or diesel vehicles, it's been really messed up around COVID times and the supply issues continue and, and also getting the vehicles here in the first place is always kind of iffy. So I think if you can compare blocks of time, that's better than comparing them necessarily month to month because there are variations that we don't necessarily account for. That's right. There's those fluctuations and Toyota, I know, had a big hold up for a while with delivering its vehicles and it seems to have started moving through that bottleneck. But speaking of Toyota, they've apparently said that they just don't think that electric utes are going going to be useful. Is that what they've said? That was the vibe, yes. So it's an interesting one because Toyota actually, they had a showcase down in Melbourne and they did show off, they've got an electric ute here that they're testing. And so it's a prototype and they're going to test it in Australia. They said that they're interested in bringing it out. However, they're not committing to that yet. It's not the electric ute that they, they ultimately dream of though. And so Sean Hanley, who's their head of sales, made some interesting comments about this white whale of an electric that he'd like to see that has a certain towing range that has a, a massive capacity in it that you know can can drive for 800 kilometers between charges and he doesn't think that exists yet and it needs to exist in order to replace diesel utes that's a really lofty goal that he's got there and it's interesting that he's kind of set that as the goal to aim for he's saying that potentially he thinks that we will need to have hydrogen and hydrogen fuel cells in place and and that in the UK, they're testing that technology to see if that could potentially work. I'm not sure that the hydrogen dream is necessarily one that is ready for Australia. So if that is what Toyota is going for, I think that's a fair way off because in Australia, there are fewer than 10 places in the country where you can actually fuel a vehicle with hydrogen. And I don't know if anybody is kind of clambering for that technology as a consumer just yet. I actually met someone the other day who has a friend who bought a hydrogen car and I said, 
oh, well, how's that going for her? <laughs> and yeah, she can only drive at a certain distance from the nearest hydrogen fueling station. I mean, these things are incredibly expensive to install and it doesn't make sense when you consider that we already have electricity everywhere. But the other thing about Sean Haley saying, you know, his, his dream you needs to drive 800 kilometres. I mean, surely Toyota wants to target all the, ta- all the tradies that are going to be driving their cars to the construction site and back each day. They're not going to be driving it 800 kilometres in one go. So, yeah, I'm sort of questioning whether or not they're setting their goals on the right things right now. It'll be interesting to see. I think that uh, there's such a market there for them, though, because if you know someone can bring out a decent electric ute in Australia, I think there'll be a market for it. Uh, we see we're such a, an SUV and ute heavy nation that anybody who can sort of make a reasonable crack at that technology, there's a, a market there for them. We saw some of the the I think it's SEA Electric take something like eight thousand orders when they announced that they were converting Toyota Hilux utes to electric. Was that Row EV? I think. Yeah, they they do them as well, yeah. and and they're doing them for a lot of mine sites in particular who are looking to save emissions. So when there's there's a, such a, a huge market for it there, I don't know why you're setting your your targets so high necessarily. But it look it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think that Utes will remain a big topic of discussion when it comes to electric vehicles, particularly from people who don't trust the technology or, or want to pick it at places where it's not necessarily as ready as it is with passenger cars like electric hatchbacks have have definitely you know got a, a ready-made market for them whereas electric utes I think there's still a lot of questions and that's why people are really delving into those anyone that's going to succeed in electric utes in Australia needs to come on board with a product that is fit for purpose I mean LDV have introduced the ET60 but it's not four-wheel drive and it can only tow a ton so we're not really talking about range here. We're just talking about utility. I mean, that's what a ute is, right? It will still get your gear from Ikea. It will still get your flat packs home. But, yeah, it's it's not necessarily for every ute driver. That's right. And so the last thing I think that we need to talk about, because it's sort of a bit of an ongoing discussion, it seems, is that BYD apparently is going to remove the Bring Your Dreams badge in Europe and according to Witchcar also in Australia. I know that it's something that's a bit of contention. Some people love it. Some people don't mind it. Some people can't stand it. I went onto Twitter and got a, a really large array of comments from people. I just thought I'd read some of them out. We had Can Ivato saying, I've seen people point and laugh. It's a cheesy MLM slogan, devalues the otherwise very good car. Venerable Tesla Gong said, can go. Looks cheesy anyways. BYD makes quality cars and no need for these small gimmicks. Michael Fink said, not a big deal in my opinion. LG did pretty well after dropping the Lucky Gold Star name. I did not even know that LG <laughs> used to be called Lucky Gold Star. <laughs> Richard Laxton said, I like the Build Your Dreams branding. It's quirky and fun. And John Buckoak said, what kind of emotionally and spiritually impoverished person objects to the phrase, build your dreams? <laughs> Whereas 13Arm, 13Arm said, not a deal breaker for me if it's still on the dolphin, which is just as well because it's underneath the lights on the dolphin, right? <laughs> it's it's such a funny one. Like, I, I mean, build your dreams is, yes, okay. It's a bit, I, I've just posted this to Instagram, but it's not a bad thing. There's so many vehicle brands that are just letters, just like, 
for example, you know, we're talking about Toyota's electric vehicle when it actually comes and, and it's got a, a name that is is letters and numbers. I just want these things to be called like Steve and Josephine and something that I can easily remember. Build your dreams makes sense to me as opposed to BYD, which is, you know, a, an internet acronym that I haven't come across before. So I, I quite like the idea that they're spelling it out. So I, I understand what people are saying. Maybe it's not for everyone. I think it's kind of cute. Well, look, thanks, Jen, for joining me. Pleasure as always. I hope you've enjoyed being on the show this time. Very much. Thank you. And I hope to catch up with you again soon. Hopefully in an MG4. Thank you for joining us for the Elevate EV podcast. Before you go, if you found this episode informative and engaging, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast to stay updated on future episodes. And please don't hesitate to reach out to let me know what you liked or if you have any questions and I'll do my best to answer them on the next episode. You can find my contact details in the show notes. Thanks again and hope you tune in again next time.